Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this day. We pray that you'll guide us in your word again. Some of these stories in John, like the story with Nicodemus, they're stories that we've heard many times. Uh, and, and maybe we've heard them so many times that, that we don't really hear them anew. And I would just pray, Lord, that we'd hear them today, uh, that we would hear your word, that we would uh, experience your word, that your word would, would make a change in our hearts. We ask this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Well, first I'm reading uh, the first eight verses, uh, John uh, chapter 3, verses uh, 1 to eight, and it's really hard to, to know where to stop in this story because it's, it's, uh, it's really all so connected throughout that entire chapter, but we'll, we'll cover these eight verses and then we'll maybe back up and look at them, uh, a few of them again next week and make the connections. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews, and this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with you. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, Well, how can a man be born when he is old? I mean, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Thanks be to God for His holy word. Charles Hayden Spurgeon, who is sometimes called the Prince of Preachers, once asked, have you ever read the Ancient Mariner? I dare say you thought it one of the strangest imaginations ever put together especially that part where the mariner represents the corpses of all the dead men rising up to man the ship. Dead men pulling the rope, dead men steering the ship, dead men spreading the sails. I thought, what a strange idea that was. But Spurgeon continued, do you know that I've lived to see it done? I have gone into churches and I have seen dead men in the pulpit. A dead man as a deacon. A dead man handling the plate. And dead men sitting to listen. Now perhaps you find Spurgeon's message an affront. Perhaps you're appalled that I would even share it. But I share Spurgeon's concern that there may be people in pews and in pulpits this morning who outwardly identify with Christ, but inwardly they've never been 
converted. Fortunately, I do not determine who is saved and who is not. I am not here to pass that judgment. But I know this, the one who will judge you and I said, unless one is born again, he or she will not see nor enter the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus refused to compromise the truth or or give anyone any kind of false hope. Read through the Gospels and you'll see that Jesus wasn't interested, folks, in shallow responses. Matthew 19, the rich young man came to Jesus and Jesus straightforwardly told him, look, you're going to need to sell all your possessions if you're going to follow me. And verse 22 tells us that the man went away sad because he possessed much. Jesus even said in Matthew 7, 21, that not everyone who declares him Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of the Father. There, there, there must be evidence of fruit in our lives. There must be evidence of a life lived for God. Jesus told people that they must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow him. Jesus said no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus often appeared to be more about thinning the ranks than building the ranks because he was straightforward. In public conversations and in private conversations, Jesus made it clear that one had to abandon his or her old self and submit to him. Following Jesus would mean a new way of life. And never is that clearer than in his private conversation with Nicodemus. Let's look at our text. Verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Well, who was Nicodemus? Well, Nicodemus was a a common Greek name among the Jews at that time, and and his name means victor over the people. Nicodemus' question in verse 4 seems to indicate that he was an older man. Also, Nicodemus was a member of the elite religious party known as the Pharisees. The name Pharisees is is from a Hebrew word which means separated one. They were, the, they were the separated ones. They were zealous for the Mosaic law and also for their oral tradition. Ironically, it was this zeal for the law that made the Pharisees too ritual, too focused on the external instead of looking at the heart of a man or woman. Further, the wide gap between their teaching and their practice led Jesus to declare that they were hypocrites. Now, the Sadducees, they tended to be wealthy priests and Levites. But the Pharisees, and that's who Nicodemus was, tended to come from the middle class. And so, though they were few in number, they had a tremendous influence on the common people in the day of Jesus. And Nicodemus was no ordinary Pharisee. According to verse 1, it says he was a ruler of the Jews, which meant he was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a member of the governing body of the Jewish people. And the Sanhedrin during that time tended to be composed of political leaders, uh, religious leaders, priests, aristocrats, 
aristocrats, not aristocrats, that's a Disney movie, aristocrats, elders, scribes, and Pharisees, to name a few. In Jesus' day, they had power over all things civil and criminal and religious. But we know from the trial of Jesus that they didn't, under Roman rule, have the authority to exercise capital punishment. The fact that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night may be due to the the fact that he was a member of the Sanhedrin. Verse 2, he came at night. You see, Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. And people come to Nicodemus, not the other way around. Nicodemus was a big shot. People lined up outside his doors to ask questions. So Nicodemus may have come at night to protect his reputation. Further, he would not want his curiosity about Jesus to be perceived as an approval of the entire Sanhedrin. He also would not want to risk incurring the wrath or the disfavor of his fellow Sanhedrin members who were already questioning, who is this man, Jesus? Certainly those were some practical concerns that Nicodemus would have had and perhaps why he came at night. But I think more likely is one that Dr. Stephen Lawson points out is that the Holy Spirit was intentionally orchestrating this meeting to be at night. You see, throughout John's gospel, there's a contrast between light and darkness. If you read ahead in chapter 3, verse 19, for example, and it says, this is the judgment, the light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. The overtone of this meeting, and by the way, if you watch The Chosen, they really set the overtone of this meeting really well. It's really shrouded in in darkness, and you get a sense of, of how secretive Nicodemus was in this meeting. But the overtone is that Nicodemus, living in spiritual darkness, is coming to see Jesus, who is the light of the world. Jesus is going to tell Nicodemus, Nicodemus, the only way you're ever going to come out of that darkness is by trusting me. It's by being born again. Whatever the reason, Nicodemus comes at night. But he respects Jesus, for verse 2 says he called Jesus rabbi, which he was putting Jesus on the same level as himself. However, like everyone else, he was focusing on Jesus' signs or his miracles. But at the very least, he believed that Jesus had the power to perform these and that that power was divine. We're going to see in some of the other gospels that that people attacked Jesus and said he did miracles by the power of Beelzebul, the prince of demons. But at least Nicodemus said, hey, this power must be from God. But Jesus wasn't interested in talking about signs. He went straight to the heart of the matter, and the heart of the matter was the heart. It was the formation and the transformation of Nicodemus' heart. Verses 3 to 5, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Nicodemus said to him, well, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water in the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Notice Jesus said, truly, truly, or as the King James has it, verily, verily. That's a phrase Jesus used in John's gospel to affirm the significance of what he was about to say. It's a way of saying, you need to understand this. Straighten up in your seats and listen up. You need to highlight this. You need to underline this. This is important. And what does he say that's so important? Well, in verses 3 and 5, unless one is born again, he or she cannot see or enter the kingdom of God. Did you hear that? Not only can they not enter the kingdom of God, they can't even see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Now, in a broad sense, everything we see is God's kingdom. But Jesus is specifically talking here about the kingdom of salvation, what we might call the kingdom of heaven. And notice the word cannot. He didn't say may not. He didn't say you probably won't. He emphatically said you cannot enter the kingdom, see the kingdom, unless you were born again. The implications of this truth was staggering for Nicodemus as it is for us. Simply being born a Jew or being born into a Christian home or having our names on the rolls of a church or even upholding religious practices and morals will not permit someone to see nor enter the kingdom of God. We must be born again. What does that mean? Well, the word again can also be translated above. And that translation illuminates the true meaning here much better. Jesus is not talking about physical rebirth, but he's talking about being born from above, having a spiritual rebirth. The theological term is regeneration. It refers to a new generating a new genesis, a new beginning, the beginning of a new life of a radically renewed person. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, behold, he is a new person. The old has gone. The new has come. Rebirth is the work of the Holy Spirit upon those who are spiritually dead. The Holy Spirit recreates the human heart quickening it from spiritual death to spiritual life. We see that in our text. I've already pointed out that born again can be translated born from above. It's a spiritual birth. But verse 5, Jesus explicitly says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water in the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, some interpret water to refer to our physical birth in the waters of amniotic fluid. And spirit is our rebirth. Certainly, one must first have a physical birth in order to have a spiritual rebirth. And for many years, I thought that might be what it was saying here, but I don't believe that quite gets at the truth. 
Others believe water here refers to the waters of baptism, but that would seem to have baptism preceding the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit and make baptism a prerequisite for the new birth. But baptism follows the new birth. Baptism is a sign and a seal of the new birth that the Holy Spirit has already given us. I think more likely this is a reference to a passage in Ezekiel 26 that speaks of the cleansing water of the Holy Spirit. That is, water and Holy Spirit are not contrasting words, but synonymous. In this passage, the Spirit is referred to as water, and in verse 8, as wind, the breath of God. Both are metaphors for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. By the way, that passage is Ezekiel 36, verses 25 to 27, if you, if you want to look it up. Look it up on your own, see if you come to the same conclusion uh, I've come to. But the essential thing here is to understand that Jesus is referring to rebirth as something that is from above. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. Rebirth is the work work of the Holy Spirit to wash away our sins, to wash away the pollution of our soul, and to give us a new heart. Now, some of you are going to say, I know you're going to, you're thinking, wait a minute, Danny. I I made the choice. I chose to trust in Christ. I, I walked the aisle. Yes, you did. But you did so because God, by His Holy Spirit, first chose you and chose to regenerate you. In other words, regeneration precedes faith. To be sure, after we've been born again, regenerated by the sovereign grace of God, we do choose to act. We do choose to cooperate and believe. But God chooses to regenerate us before we will choose to embrace Him. We're dead in our sins. God has to breathe life into us, and we're reborn. How do you know if you're born again? How do you know? Well, I would say, as I've already said, if you've made a heartfelt commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've made a deep, heartfelt commitment that I'm going to walk with Jesus the rest of my days, then I believe you're born again. You couldn't have made that commitment apart from the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. You couldn't have. You maybe think you could, but you couldn't. Apart from the Holy Spirit working in your lives, you could not have made that decision. And you can also tell by the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Are you living by the fruit of the Spirit? Are, are you ever increasing to have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control as a part of your life? That's the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to work that in you. Those are signs that you're born again. A heartfelt commitment and the working of the fruit of the Spirit in your lives. Are you born again? Beloved, are you born again? George Whitfield, the Anglican evangelist and one of the founders of Methodism, is said to have preached over 30,000 sermons. And to give you perspective on that, I've been preaching for nearly 30 years now, and I've preached maybe 1,200 to 1,500 sermons. 
Whitfield preached 30,000 sermons. And it's said of Whitfield that in every one of those 30,000 sermons, with only a few exceptions, he told the people, you must be born again. After one such sermon, a woman asked Mr. Whitfield, why do you keep telling us we must be born again? And Whitfield looked there and said, because, dear woman, you must be born again. It's the truth of the gospel. That we must be born again if we're going to see and enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not a question, do we own a Bible? It's not a question, do we do a Bible study? It's not a question, did we grow up in the church? It's not a question, is, were your parents and grandparents Christians? All of those are wonderful. And I hope you had those experiences. But are you born again? Have you been regenerated by the Holy Spirit and made a new person? If you haven't, and you feel the Holy Spirit working and tugging at your heart this morning, please, please don't neglect the Lord's calling and choosing you. Please don't. I would urge you right now, and I'm very serious about this, folks, right now. Come to the table. Kneel if you would like. And ask and trust the Holy Spirit to make you new. If you don't want to come to the table, then, then take care of that where you're sitting this morning. Ask the Holy Spirit to make you new. If you're listening at home, take care of this in your living room. If you're listening to our podcast of this next week, then pull off the side of the road if you're driving the car and find somewhere safe and take care of business right there. Trust the Holy Spirit, beloved, to wash you and cleanse you as you trust in Christ and as you become a new creation. Let's pray together. If you want to come, if that's something the Lord's tugging at your heart, He wants to do something new in you, then you can kneel where you're at. You can stay in your seat. You can come here again at home. You can join us. But let the Holy Spirit do His work in you. If you haven't already, become that new creation. Let's pray together. Lord, if there's one listening, whether it be here this morning or whether it be somewhere else, who is not born again, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you will enliven their hearts and regenerate them. We pray that today might be the day that they're born again, that they're born from above. For those of us who are already born again, Lord, I, I pray that we're living into that new life. I, I pray that the old is increasingly gone and the new is taking over. 
Lord, Lord, I pray that the fruit of the Spirit would be ever more evident in our lives. May people see our, our love and our joy and our peace. May we, Lord, in, in our dealings with others, be more patient and good and kind and gentle, faithful in all we do, exercising self-control, which is really, Lord, more Holy Spirit control. Oh, Lord, please, by the power of your Holy Spirit, sanctify us and make us new creations. To you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be all glory, praise, and honor today and forevermore. Amen. If maybe you're one of those that this morning who feels like, Danny, you went a little too Baptist on me this morning. And we're not used to coming forward in a Presbyterian church. That's okay. If the Holy Spirit is doing a work in your life, if He's doing something new in your life, talk to somebody about it before you leave today. Grab one of our elders to pray with you. Grab a respected believer to pray with you. Grab me. Let us know what's going on in your life. I pray that the Lord's doing something new in your life. That we're being revived and redeemed and renewed in this place. Talk to somebody about it. Let us know. Give us that testimony and let's, let's pray together. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you today and forevermore. Amen.